0: um so it's been just over one full year since the first lockdown of 2020 now if you would have asked me if that would have been a a statement last year i would have said no what do you mean first there's gonna be more what are you talking about but it's true this has been over a year since the first lockdown in 2020 and 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 you know i remember it like it was yesterday i do it's one of those moments in life where It just sticks with you. It's a memorable thing. So last year at this time, all of you know, our whole world got flipped on its head. And fear was like being pumped into Canadian society like it was an IV drip. And everyone was shutting down for fear of the worst. Now, it's kind of funny, I guess, that last year at this time, you know, the roads were empty. You couldn't, I mean, you could get from here to, you know, uh, Oled Avenue in like five minutes. There's no one on the roads. But the third lockdown is packed, man. I was like driving yesterday, I'm like, man, aren't you people supposed to be staying home? What's going on here? So everything was shut down, it was crazy. And I remember I was at work on uh, on Thursday, this past Thursday, and, and my phone buzzed. Beep, uh, uh, Amber Alert. And, uh, and, and, and so I looked at it and to see that the government had messaged me saying uh, telling me to stay home. And, and, they, and then they were also informing me about what was and wasn't essential because I'm an idiot and I, and I don't know how to figure that out. So last year at this time, I got a similar message. You remember around the same time the same message came to the phone. But this time I was riding my bike when it went off. I remember looking at it and feeling scared, feeling uncertain. I mean, what is this? I've never gotten a message like this before. What's going on in the world that they have to send out emergency orders for me to stay home? So I rode home quickly, full of anxiety, full of fear. But this time, I looked at my phone, and I giggled, and I said, go away, Doug, (laughs) go away. Who gave you my phone number? (laughs) But not everyone shrugged it off. A co-worker of mine, uh, after I looked and I looked up and she was at the front there, she's the sanitizing girl, she looked visibly shaken. She looked visibly shaken. She was having trouble breathing, she was having a panic attack. I said, what's wrong? I said, oh, I, I don't like these messages. Just, it doesn't make me feel right. You know, I get, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. She's like, trying to breathe and stuff, and it's hard. We live in one of the richest societies of all time. Yet here we are, scared, anxious, and more depressed than ever before. But I'm here this morning to tell you that no matter how difficult, no matter how crazy it gets. The Bible tells me that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. There's no need to fret. There's no need to fear. Suffering in one form or another comes to everyone, but God gives us hope in the midst of it. Hope is what people need now. We need hope. We don't need more fear. All you get from the government and from the media is fear they, they don't want to give you you know even if there's good news they don't want to give you that so they got to sugarcoat it with some fear well you know turns out um, people aren't getting us you know in Texas oh it turns out numbers are going down well no 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 we got to figure out why because that's not good we don't want people to be healthy because if they're healthy then they won't be afraid. And if they're not afraid, then no one will watch our crappy news network. That's not in my notes, by the way. (laughs) We need hope. Hope is what the gospel is all about. A steady year of fear, fear, fear. It's time for some hope, hope, hope. So this morning, we're going to walk through a story of incredible, prolonged suffering, and discover the purpose and hope that the gospel brings to a man and his whole community. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 9, verse 32 and 33. It says here, oops, i got to turn the page. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia, Lydda, sorry, Lydda, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. So Peter, like a good evangelist, he went about preaching, encouraging all the people to believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and it was not uncommon for him to, to come upon people who were suffering deeply. The message of the gospel often deeply resonates with those who are in tremendous pain, great suffering. And as we read in earlier passages, people, the Bible says, would bring the sick and the suffering to the apostles to be healed. So while Peter was going here and there preaching and and doing the work of the Lord, he met a man named Aeneas. And for all the healings and for all the suffering Peter witnessed in his short ministry up to now, for whatever reason, you know, this seemed a bit different. There was something something different about Aeneas. So much so that the Holy Spirit decided to specifically tell his story. How many people had Peter healed? How many times do we read in Acts that they brought all the sick and they were healed? Well, how many people was that? The Bible never said or named them, but this one they named. This one the Holy Spirit said, I want to name this, this Aeneas and tell his story in my word forever and ever. So nobody knows exactly why he was paralyzed and bedridden. You know, we could speculate. Maybe he was injured at work. Maybe, you know, he sustained the injuries at the hands of the Romans. Maybe he, you know, brought it upon himself in some way. Maybe he was, I don't know. We don't know why he was bedridden for eight years. All we know is that for eight long years this man was not able to get out of his bed. And if any of you have been bedridden for even one day, you know how frustrating that can be. Imagine not having any independence at all. I mean, people got to bring you food, they got to feed you. You need help going to the bathroom, you need help bathing. You can't attend celebrations and feasts. You know, his children if he had any were were growing up quickly and he was missing it all. Imagine missing eight years of your children's life. How many of you have children who are not eight years old yet? You, me, imagine missing eight years. All he could do is lay in bed and pray and wait for death. From the outside looking in, his situation looked, well, hopeless, tremendously hopeless. and There's really nothing worse being hopeless when you feel hopeless it puts everything into perspective suddenly things you thought were important lose their grip and you realize a life without hope is a life that's difficult to cling on to Uh, there's there's no doubt that he spent countless hours crying out to god to free him lord free me from the shackles of my own body The discouragements and doubts were unbearable. Like, why would God allow this? What's the point of living if I'm just going to be bedridden? I'm useless. I should just die. What's the point? But for some reason, Aeneas held on because God had a plan for his life that would send a ripple effect throughout all eternity and even reach us here. About five years ago or so, uh, Canada legalized physician assisted suicide. Basically, if you're suffering, suffering with a condition that's, you know, has no remedy and would make your life intolerable, you have the right to ask a doctor to do the opposite of what they swore an oath to do, and to kill you. So, what troubles me most about this ruling is that it's vague. And it has just led to mental illness being included. There was a bill that was just passed, if I'm not mistaken, that includes mental illness in that legislation. So if you're depressed, you can go to the doctor and say, I want to die, and it's illegal. People who suffer with deep depression or anxiety can go and ask to die. I recently read an article by a man who suffers with depression who said this, Those with mental illness should have the right to die with dignity. We live in the culture of death. We kill our own children in the womb on the altar of freedom, convenience. Anytime I hear a Canadian politician say freedom, I just don't take it seriously anymore. You guys don't know what it means. And now we're opening the door to kill those who are suffering with mental anguish. So I ask you, what message are we sending to our children? In one breath, we say, we have to do everything to prevent suicide. Bell, let's talk. Every year, Bell, let's talk. Let's talk about mental illness. And then in the next breath, we say, well, let's just kill them. Let's give them the right to die. Let's not fix the problem. Let's not put resources. To we'll talk on Bell Let's Talk Day, then we'll kill you tomorrow. It's evil. And having myself suffered with anxiety, In depression, I have to stand against this evil, this wicked, demonic trash. Our responsibility is not to kill those who are suffering, but to support, love, and do all we can to alleviate it, and to ensure that they know their life is still valuable, they're still loved. This is a huge reason why lockdowns are so wicked and evil before the Lord. It's throwing people into unnecessary despair and causing them to want to die. In an effort to save us from a virus that could kill us, the government has driven people to such a point of despair that they don't even want to live. We live in a country where your mental health must be sacrificed on the altar now of compliance. Because we're all in this together. Who cares about your mental health? We're in a war. There's going to be casualties. And maybe your mental health is the casualty. Oh, you're depressed, you're suicidal, well that's too bad. If you try to be a human and go to a birthday party, we'll find you and then we'll slander you and say that you're a hater of humanity and science. (laughs) If the government's unbalanced response to the coronavirus has revealed anything, it's that this country loves death and hates freedom. That's what it's revealed. But thanks be to God that Jesus comes to free us from our slavery and to liberate us true purpose and freedom to pursue and to love God. If Aeneas was living in Canada in 2021, he undoubtedly would have been a candidate for physician-assisted suicide. And I'm thankful, you know, for medicine. I'm thankful for painkillers. I'm thankful for those technologies that uh, help people to die with less pain and with their families by their side. I'm thankful for that. You know, I got to see and witness uh, you know my wife's grandmother pass away with her family by her side uh, in, in, in a state of relative comfort. That's good. That's good. But we mustn't ever play God. Even through the greatest suffering God, He can turn it around and in an instant bring about such good that the suffering seems small. The Bible says... That this light momentary affliction is not even worth to be compared with the glory that will be revealed when Jesus comes. Christianity is the message of the truth of the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole thing is built on life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the death. He said, I'm the life. For Aeneas, his life didn't seem very meaningful. I mean, laying in bed paralyzed for eight years, many in our culture would say, you know, well, that's no life at all, right? Let him end it with dignity. But God said, no, <laughs> no. I have a purpose for his life, I have hope to impart. And you, mere mortals, don't have the right to say who lives and who dies. Why do you think murder is a sin? God gives and God takes away. I don't know every detail of your life, but the fact is, I know that if you have not already suffered, you will eventually. Suffering comes to everyone in one way or another. I know many, if not all of you, have had moments and you've thought, man, is there hope for me? Is there hope, really? Because I don't see it. Maybe you weren't in a situation like Aeneas was, necessarily. But we've pondered, and we've been in dark seasons of life, and, and if you haven't, then praise God. But for the rest of us who've taken a beating by life, we need to understand that our suffering and our pain is not meaningless. That is, that is tremendously good news. Yes, it's true. It may seem meaningless. But God is in the business of taking the worst pain and redeeming it for His glory and for your good. So consider the cross. Consider the cross. Jesus was perfect, He had no sins, not even one. You know, I I wonder about that, right? Like when, because I have three year olds. I'm going, really? I wonder what Jesus was like when He was three. Sinless, right? Oh yeah teaching and teaching the adults in the temple but like three-year-olds are tremendously good sinners you know they just they just disobey this is what they do don't touch that they touch it you know hey uh, don't put your finger in the socket what do they do try to put it they just disobey so imagine being Jesus's like parents like uh, you wouldn't even have to tell him what not to do he just would know already no sin innocent and pure he, he went about healing and teaching and bringing life to people and what did he get for his efforts he was arrested unjustly he was beaten to the point of you know not being recognizable stripped naked nailed to a cross with criminals and he was left to die look if anyone understood injustice pain suffering it's jesus it's jesus but the cross was not the end Three days later, we know He rose from the dead. He defeated death. Jesus rose again from the dead uh, after the most heinous and unjust crime ever committed by human beings and is now seated at the right hand of God. The worst event, the worst injustice ever was the cross of Christ, but it was the thing by which God gave birth to the greatest hope ever. So whatever, you know injustice you're in whatever whatever suffering you're in know that without the cross there is no resurrection god turned the greatest evil ever committed the crucifixion of the perfect son of god and he used it to accomplish the greatest mercy of all time your salvation is that good news Christ gives profound meaning to our suffering, and although we may feel hopeless at times, the truth is hope has never been closer to the weary heart. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Verse 34 here. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And and immediately he rose. Peter saw that this man was at the lowest point of his life and he was filled with compassion from the Lord Jesus and it moved him to action. He looks at Aeneas and he says a simple statement of fact. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. (laughs) That's an interesting statement, isn't it? He's been laying in bed for eight years and the first thing he's told when he can walk again is to make it. Rise up your heel. By the way, make your bed too while you're at it. <laughs> I know you've been laying in it for eight years, but you still gotta make it. <laughs> Rise up, make your bed. At that point, he's happy to make his bed. So Peter mentions two names here, Aeneas and Jesus. Notice he doesn't mention his own name. What made the difference in Aeneas' life was not Peter, it was Jesus. And Jesus calls him by name. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And just like that, he rose. Eight long years in bed. Eight long, grueling, painful years gone in just an instant. You know, imagine the muscular degeneration of a person who hasn't walked for eight years. And then just immediately begins walking. No, it would take months, maybe years to rehabilitate somebody like that. Get back on their feet to make their bed. But Peter makes a bold statement. He tells him to get up and more than that to just to make his bed. Imagine the looks on people's faces when they heard that. Nah, that's not gonna happen. Get up and make your bed. Come on. He's been here for eight years, man. Who's this guy? But to make it abundantly clear that Jesus is the Messiah, Aeneas gets up immediately. His legs are strong again. He makes his bed. His bony legs aren't bony. They're strong, able, renewed. Jesus entered a hopeless situation and made the difference. Aeneas waited on the Lord. Oh, how he waited on the Lord. And God renewed his strength. Aeneas was held by his own body in forced isolation for eight years. Now, we've been in on-off isolation for a year. And Aeneas, he could sympathize with it. He can sympathize with our despair, our feelings of isolation, our feelings of frustration. But when Peter comes and says in the name of Jesus, get up, he liberates him. Jesus renews his strength. Jesus is the hope, our only hope, to open our eyes and liberate us from this lockdown insanity. So this morning I say, Canada, get up and make your bed. (laughs) Get up and make your bed in the name of Jesus. Aeneas' forced isolation was broken by the name of Jesus. And his was really a forced isolation. We can get up and go wherever we want if we want to. He couldn't. And it was in Jesus' name that it was broken. I'm not talking some Kenneth Copeland, you know, talk to the virus and blow it away with your breath. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Aeneas was healed. But understand, after he was healed there was still suffering in the world. Yeah, Jesus comes with healing, that's true. But more than that, he comes with hope and purpose. This is the power of the gospel, that in the midst of our situation, he brings hope, purpose, and freedom. So it's time to rise up, hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, and walk. Make your bed. Now, will this virus magically disappear if lockdowns are lifted? Probably not. But viruses have always existed and will always exist until Jesus comes. Jesus isn't going to just, maybe he will, maybe he won't. I don't know, I'm not the Lord. But in the name of Jesus, he brings freedom. Freedom is something given by God. And like Aeneas, we will no longer be paralyzed but set free to serve God in liberty and in truth. someone going to say amen or? Yeah. <laughs> it's only in the name of Jesus. And then look what happens here in verse 35. And all the residents of Lidda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. You see that? You see what happens when liberty and freedom is proclaimed in the midst of isolation and despair? Many turn to the Lord. Amen. Amen. All the churches I know that have remained open have seen tremendous, tremendous growth, tremendous amounts of baptism. Many are coming to the Lord. Everyone saw what had happened. They knew the pitiful state that Aeneas lived in for eight years, and there he was walking down the street, running and jumping and bending and squatting and working. Who or what caused this to happen? Peter preached to them. He said, hey, Jesus healed this man. And by the power of his resurrection, this man also has eternal life. Hundreds, perhaps thousands, came to Christ on that day his eight years of irreversible suffering was used of God to populate heaven with mass quantities. God is a God of order. It's all through the Bible, but nowhere is it seen more clearly than Genesis 1. We read about how the earth was formless and void. It was in a state of like chaos. It needed order. It needed to be brought together to make sense of it. And God comes and He does that. He speaks, let there be light. In the void, chaos begins to come into order. And we see in Genesis 1, it's split up into seven days, each day building upon and complementing the last. Genesis chapter 1, if you study it in in depth, reveals not just how God put the the, um, heavens and the earth together, but it reveals an incredible supernatural literary order as well. Out of chaos, God brings order, which is why when things in our lives get out of order, we feel so disoriented, you know, especially if we think we're doing God's will. When we're, when we're serving God and things don't go well, you know, then what? Aeneas was bedridden for eight years. How could that be good? We always think our situations are beyond God's capabilities to use for good, but He's able, and when He does, He gets all the glory for it. When He speaks into the chaos, it comes together. It makes sense. It's so easy to be hopeless in the storms and the floods of life. I remember reading a book uh, on spiritual warfare by Charles Spurgeon while I was in a difficult season of life. and I was suffering with persistent anxiety and... Uh, uh, Panic attacks, and, and God reminded me of a fact of life. If you're feeling downtrodden, if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling great, listen to these words. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, Can you answer this, believer? Can you find any reason why you are often mourning instead of rejoicing? Why yield to gloomy anticipations? Who told you that the night would never end in day? Who told you that the winter of your discontent would proceed from frost to frost, from snow and ice and hail to deeper snow, and yet more heavy tempests of despair? Don't you know that day follows night? That flood comes after ebb? That spring and summer succeed winter? Have hope then. Hope now and ever, for God fails not." Like Aeneas, I'm sure we all go through seasons of despair, difficulties, but we can't give up. Listen, winter doesn't last. Hey, the grass is green now. 30 days, it wasn't. 30 days ago, it wasn't that green. The trees are budding. Spring is here. After winter. It comes because God said so. So don't despair. Who told you spring doesn't come? Who told you that the night lasts forever? Who told you that lie? It wasn't God. God told you from the beginning there would be seasons. He told you seven days. He put it in order. It won't last forever. Summer is coming and hope will win. In Christ even death is not cause for hopelessness for be, because he lives we too will live he said. Made like him like him we rise. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who forsake the Lord will fall. Those who wait on the Lord will fly like eagles the Bible tells us. So what would Aeneas say to us today if he were alive? What would a man in heaven who suffered so greatly on earth say to those on earth suffering now? You ever think about that? Some of the saints suffered greatly. You know, they were martyred, they died, they suffered, and now they're in glory. And I wonder sometimes, you know, what would they tell us when we're suffering? What would a saint who has gone through it and is on the other side tell us? Well, I did a little bit of uh, some, I did a little C.S. Lewis thing here. Uh, I, uh, God gave me some inspiration and I wrote a letter of what I think Aeneas would say to us. And as I finish this teaching, I want to read to you what I believe a letter from heaven would say. If if Aeneas could communicate with us now. So, let me read this. It says, It says, To the Christians who inhabit the earth, from Aeneas, your brother. I suffered in my bed for eight years. For eight whole years, my mind was in turmoil. I cried out to God. I heard nothing. I prayed every day, and I felt like I was crazy. Where is God? I can't move. I'm paralyzed. I'm talking to myself. Every now and then, I would hear a small, still voice encourage me and say, Be patient. How much patience is God going to require of me? I was depressed, discouraged, but I continued to wait and trust. I continued to pray. Why was God silent most of the time, I asked. My family pitied me, I just didn't understand why a good God would allow this to happen. I couldn't work, I couldn't raise my kids, I couldn't go to the temple to pray. Surely God would want me to do those things. My friends would come over and read the book of Job to me, but they were about as helpful as Job's friends. I needed a word from God like Job had, but all I kept hearing in my spirit was, Be patient. One day I heard of a man named Peter who was traveling around and preaching. Eight years had gone by, and I was beginning to think I should just give up. He entered where I was, and he saw me. And he spoke bold words that penetrated my heart. And as he spoke, it was as if lightning and intense heat coursed through my body. A feeling like I was being wrapped with power. And it was frightening. He said these words, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately I was loosed and I stood up and made my bed. My muscles were not sore. I could move with liberty. And just like that, I was healed. Just like that, eight years of pain, turmoil, were blown away like dust, but why? It was all so much. It was all too much for me to take in. Fear and joy and love, confusion and amazement, all, hope—all these emotions flooded and mixed together in my spirit. I couldn't contain and explain what was happening. Everyone in my town saw me, and they fell amazed. They all turned to this wonderful Jesus. Truly, He is the Messiah promised to us. Peter preached and we believed. Now eight years seem as nothing, like a woman who goes through pain in childbirth and immediately upon receiving her child counts that pain as nothing, so now I can see clearly. My suffering was a means for God to give life to a whole town, to populate heaven. God healed me in His timing and now many people are saved. My momentary suffering was a tool God used to crown me with many crowns. Now I am with my healer and my Lord. I see so clearly. So my family on earth, your suffering is going to resolve in such a weight of glory that when it is over, you will laugh. You will laugh because of how God worked it out for your good. Now you cry, I know. But remember what our blessed Lord said. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you have turned my mourning into dancing, and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. So take courage. It is necessary that you must be perfected through suffering in your life. Believe me, the result, providing you endure to the end, will make your suffering seem too small a thing to consider. Blessed be the Lord now and through eternity. Amen. God will have the final say. He will. As we go through this, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen next. But I know one thing for sure. That those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I know one thing for sure. That when God brings freedom and liberty to a a person... That there is no going back. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And together, if we were, if we endure, we will dwell in such a weight of glory that our suffering will not even be worth mentioning. When we get to glory, you know, I saw a meme. About, it was it was like. Uh, when you get to heaven and you tell a 14th century saint that you left, you live through a plague, it's that meme of Stanley. And he's just like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Look, one way or another, guys, Jesus is going to win. You know, I saw the church in Alberta. They put a fence around it. They they hired a secu- security company to, to keep this. Look. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. You think that a Paladin security company and a cheap fence from Alberta Health Services is going to prevail against the Church of Jesus Christ? You know I'm encouraged because I watch videos from our brothers down there and they're out there uh, outside the fence, they're laughing, they're having barbecues, they're praying. Because the Lord has given them such a hope that they they look at the fence and they look at what's happening and they laugh at it. I'm so encouraged by these brothers because they're out there laughing at the enemy in his face. And so I'm emboldened and I'm encouraged. Because even though it looks bad now, this is when God shines the brightest. You know, Spurgeon also said that you can only see the glory of the stars on the backdrop of the dark night. And I don't mean Batman. (laughs) Look look up now. Do you see any stars? No, you don't see it. You can only see it when it's dark. God's glory will shine brightest when it's dark, and, and He is so let's pray together father we thank you for this time together that we could come out here and worship you Uh, lord you are so faithful to us and we just pray lord i just pray now for strength and for boldness um, for all my brothers and sisters here give us strength and boldness lord help us to be witnesses now you know i've been so frustrated for so many months now about how do i be a witness but lord it's time, to just, it's time to just do it. Stop making excuses and just do it. So help us, Lord. Give us boldness. As your the apostles, they used to come together and they would pray for boldness. And so we come together now, Lord, and we pray for boldness. Fill us with your spirit. Give us courage. Um, and, and let the world see who you, who you are for who you are. Move us out of the way and let people see Jesus. Let them see freedom. Let them see liberty. Let them see hope. This is what we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.